It's a good show. I'm in pain. She's insane. You're listening to Mormon and the Math Head. <laughs> if you put a Mormon and a Math Head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron would all just so read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. I'm going to be using for this whole podcast. Just hope everybody's okay with that. Actually, I don't give a shit. I like it. I'm going to keep doing it. He has been doing this for 15 minutes. I don't remember how to speak regular. When you spoke out of character a minute ago, it felt weird. It did feel weird. This is like the weekend that you did Bradley Cooper from Star is Born so much that I... Didn't know how to listen. Can to I go back voice. to Bradley Cooper? Can you? <laughs> hey, hey, why'd you why'd you sell my dad's farm? <laughs> let me just let me touch your nose and don't sell my dad's farm. That's all I want. <laughs> listen, am I peeing right now? <laughs> what? <laughs> Would you tell me? I don't feel like I'm doing it deep enough. Like, Wait, I feel like did that he it, say that? No, no, he didn't. Oh. <laughs> You have to embellish the character. That's what makes a good impersonation. Okay, you gotta you gotta embellish a little bit. But yeah, when you the other day I was high and I went for a walk and it was just magical high. Like it felt like Joseph Gordon Levitt in Five Hundred Days of Summer, where suddenly I was just like in a musical and I was just marching down the streets of Glendale with the confidence of a drum major leading an invisible parade behind me. And, uh, but I'm just like, da- like, I'm kind of walking to the beat of this song and just like bobbing my head kind of like, I'm not walking in a normal gait I'm doing it for the song that no one else can hear, but me. Right. And, uh, uh, I just did it for the whole song and then the next song and, and the next song. And then I realized like, I'm, st- I-, I don't remember how to walk anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm using all my mental uh, faculty to try and stop my legs from doing this, but I'm just like, and my legs hurt. Also, I looked up and I was like, I don't know where I'm at. I've been walking down this road for way too long, so I just had to turn around and walk back past the the grandfather who gave me weird looks the last time I marched past him and his grandchild out. It's like a nice neighborhood, and they don't, they're not used to this kind of riffraff just uh, gallivanting Beep down often. the street, bop, 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 quietly uh, muttering the words to forgot about Dre. <laughs> well, I liked it. Uh, ordinarily, if you get caught dancing in public uh, by an old man, you might stop, but you couldn't. I could not. You could not. I could not. You just didn't care. It was just one of those beautiful highs where you just don't care about anyone else you're like ah i'm just gonna dance to the beat of my own grandpa's watching yeah yeah who cares i'm gonna gonna do it i'm gonna do it god damn it so uh you want to talk about russian doll i can't wait to talk about russian doll that's not true you waited several weeks to talk about russian doll how many weeks gotta get up gotta get down let's do it russian doll was amazing russian doll makes me want to quit 
and never and never attempt to do anything because it's just too good. So good. I've read so many articles about the production of it and like the years that they spent talking about it and how all the different pieces came together and all the people that were involved and when they got involved and I'm just fascinated by it. The way that things come together like that where uh, you find out it wasn't a fully formed idea originally and all these pieces just magically came together when it's supposed to feels like Russian doll was its own thing. Like um, it existed somewhere in the consciousness and then uh, all these people came together to bring it into the physical realm. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's what I love about collaborative art. In stark contrast from Umbrella Academy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, dude, everybody. Listen, I know as soon as you're done with one good show, you want the next good show. And... uh, I think y'all are trying to force Umbrella Academy to be better than it actually is. Um, uh, it's not solid that, it's premise. Solid, solid premise. fucking premise. People said uh, Haunting of Hill House, but with superheroes, and I said I am there. I would love that. And then, like I learned a little bit more. You know, uh, reclusive, weird billionaire adopts superhero children and forces them to fight crime, and now they're adults and their relationships are all fractured, and they have to come back together and i was like oh my god this is really good is there gonna be good acting and they're like nah no. <laughs> i was like what about okay what about like dialogue will there be any good dialogue they're like no 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 superheroes there's, there's gonna be mary j blige is gonna be in it she's gonna suck ass but uh it's a sick premise though right <laughs> here's my question when the dialogue is written poorly, is there anything an actor can do? I that's I think that all the time. When dialogue's bad and then it makes it feel the acting feel bad. Are they allowed to improvise and put more words in? Because there were so many just choppy sections of everyone having three words. And when your when your line is so hack. What can you do with that? Like, what emotion can you pour into that that's not going to make it feel awful? I just can't imagine being on a set full of people who just can't all agree that this is bad. (laughs) Like, you could just, you you could, Ellen Page could just be like, all right, well, obviously I shouldn't say this uh, because this is shit. And everyone there would just be like, yeah, man, uh, let's, let's just say something else. But I don't know how, I'm not an actor. I don't know how it works. I imagine that it's a mix of the two and that sometimes a great actor could overcome a weak script or vice versa. We've seen her act well though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I like Ellen Page. She's fine. She's fine. The, there's other people in there that are, that are fine. It's just that, uh, it's so shitty. You guys, my brother, (laughs) my brother was like, we've seen one episode. (laughs) My brother was like, uh, it gets, it gets a little better after episode six. And I said, get the fuck out. Y'all are so lonely and so sad. You'll sit through six bad hours to get to like a few okay hours. No, 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 no. Because then even after that, he would just, he'll live text me as he's watching it and be like, oh, it sucks again. Oh, I just got good. Just got good. And I don't know if I should go to sleep. Yeah, go to sleep, Jeremy. Go to sleep, dude. This, uh, we stopped it. Right as Mary J. Blige came on screen. And then <laughs> and then he told me 
like it's just so bad. They're just like, oh, cutting costs again. God yeah, damn like, it. Uh, Sick of this shit. You only shit. have one room. And, and then she says like. Uh, and it's the guy. She says these budget cuts but that's the kind of thing where i'm like what are you supposed to do with that line because that's the kind of Say, thing no mary s- j blige is not acting she's, <laughs> she's reciting like you can tell there's a difference between someone who is actually upset over the budget cuts and is checking is actually a person who's checking into a motel and is, can, <laughs> can 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 sigh and deliver the line much better and mary j blige is just like ah, <laughs> these budget cuts <laughs> And then the dude, the the, uh, the dude that she's partnered up with, is the serial killer from Mind Hunter, and he's still talking exactly like a serial killer, and, and he, like his inflection in his voice dry, is it drove me nuts. Anyway, we turned it off, and then Jeremy was like, "No, no, no you should give it another chance." And we and me and Jess were both like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we should." We turned it on, and then we had forgotten the scene that was in, and like. Uh, because then it went from them checking in where we turned off, we turned it back on, and now it's those two back in the <laughs> hotel room, and we made it another eleven to twelve seconds, and we're just like, nope. Uh, uh-uh, eleven or twelve seconds long enough for him to just pull the the vent off of a giant, perfect duffel bag sized heater vent with no screws in it. Apparently, yeah. Slide the and bag. She's in like, there. she's like, but we're supposed to keep that on us at all times. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is going to come into play later. Wow. Dude. This is a real subtle foreshadowing. The uh, the scene that I, like, I get. <laughs> I can't get a, I saw that people keep tweeting out this scene uh, as if they're being paid by Netflix to do it. <laughs> And they're like, this is this is the best scene. This is this is all of us. Oh, this was so me. Oh, t- p- who are you in this scene? And it's the scene of all the characters from Umbrella Academy dancing alone, and everyone's acting like that was a good scene. Number one, no, it's not. Number two, it only convinced you that 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 it was a good scene because there is s- such little chemistry between any of the actors on this show. I think it says a lot. That, that your favorite scene was one where none of them interacted with <laughs> anyone else. And there were no lines of dialogue. Zero. That's the only reason you thought that stupid, shitty dancing montage was any good. is because no one was speaking and no one had to make eye contact with anyone else. And then we finally all felt a little bit more comfortable at home. They're not even dancing well. I don't get it. And discount Ezra Miller uh, is is on, and that's like that's a shot at him. But like he is st- even discount Ezra Miller is the best. Is, I, I like who's discount Ezra Miller. Klaus, Klaus, the uh, the guy who gets out of uh, rehab in the beginning, and he's wearing feather okay. boas and he's yeah. wearing the dress. Oh, and he's, yeah, I thought uh, he was a discount Jack Sparrow. <laughs> Uh, Jeremy is upset when I said that because he likes him from the show Misfits, which I never watched. But I feel like um, I like that he uh, isn't wearing a giant cardboard body with a tiny <laughs> head uh, and that he's not a monkey butler. But uh, monkey butler was good. <laughs> anyway, uh, I am not going to give Umbrella Academy any more chances. I think that I have enough uh, things to watch. But, uh, 
you know, maybe I'll be around for season two if if y'all idiots. I just I get and yet no, no uh, I I just I find it so weird the things that you guys um, uh, tolerate, and then the things that you don't. Like um, I am sick of having to defend Avatar to all you people who. Uh, who pretend like a script is so important to you. Uh, and then, and then you all, you all love, uh, the umbrella Academy. <laughs> and, uh, I don't, I don't fucking get it. Oh man. These movie critics. <laughs> I just, why also the umbrella Academy should be half hour episodes. I could get through six bad half hour episodes, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's too much. It's too much. There were there's so many good elements in there. Like we were like getting really excited about lots of different things when five came back. This is all stuff from the pilot, by the way. I just went uh we're not spoiling much. Russian doll we're gonna spoil, but that's why we gave you guys two weeks to catch up. So uh but anyway, there were things that were cool about about uh Umbrella Academy. And this is what I think about just to make the point about collaborative art. I I really don't think that you know until it's done and like when you've got a lot of different pieces and a lot of moving parts and a lot of different people contributing i think that most people when they work on a project are working on it because they want it to be great they think that it is going to be great but uh it doesn't always come out that way and like russian doll is just like lightning in a bottle where it's so good so good it was well made as a show, and then the thing that I love TVs and movies for, we love, is the messages, right? So it had so many messages that line up with the stuff that we talk about. It was like, uh, why can I never remember the name of the show that we loved before Russian Doll? Maniac. Maniac. Maniac, yes. Um, it was like that in that it had so many of the themes from this show i have tried to get you to watch american gods because there are a lot of like messages in it i put a lot i put a lot of effort into american gods more I mean, too, effort than uh some of the actors on that show put into <laughs> american gods <laughs> oh, i'm a leprechaun I, I, where's me coin Arse, I'm so mad. <laughs> Leprechaun mad. I will not be bullied into uh, watch. I tried uh, for a long time because uh, I I like messages. Sure, um, I'm and I and I revolver revolver is not good, and I got huge messages from that. Like I like yeah. uh, messages from I. Uh, I liked I liked Glass. I didn't think Glass was a perfect movie, but there were cool messages in it, and I think it's better than a lot of you uh, Shyamalan haters said that it was. But I didn't think it's perfect. But there's good message. I think it's just hard to watch TV shows that are bad when it's yeah. and they're hour long episodes, and there's so many episodes. And I'm trying, I'm trying real hard, and it's just. So, like, do we need thunder and lightning as a backdrop to this checkers sequence? Was your king, your king me bitch so dramatic that you needed a flash of lightning in the background? I think it's a hint as to what god you're dealing with. 
Yeah, I got it. (laughs) He hits people with hammers. I get it. It's so... Oi, it's me lucky coin! Oh, I wonder what kind of god he is. I get it. Why did I put my makeup on before this episode? I've never heard the leprechaun impression before. Uh, Neither has that guy. (laughs) That guy played Nick, Nicky, Nick in in season two of The Wire. I liked. He was. I don't know. He's probably a fine actor who did a good job. It's just um, <laughs> so fucking corny and <laughs> and like everything about it that that his whole thing is that he's a he's a con man. He's a criminal. Right. The main guy. And uh, he was go- he walked into a casino to try to rob it somehow. And uh, the 13 year old <laughs> white girl who was dealing blackjack at the table caught him immediately. <laughs> Whatever his plan was, she figured it out right away. And then they start dating. Because, okay. And then, uh, for all we know, he doesn't do any more crime for a while. They just they just date. and she. Call- I thought she was calling him Poppy the whole time. And I hated it. She's like, Poppy. Oh, Poppy. And I was like, Pff. So he needs to tell this girl uh, she's too white. Like, I don't, you know, I don't like this at all. Then I found out later that she was calling him puppy and I hated it more. <laughs> I was like, Ugh. go back to appropriating uh, poppy, please. Anyway, they date for a while and then spend uh, years or whatever. And like, but he like makes a better plan and she makes a, like a better plan. She's going to be in on it now. And they get caught immediately <laughs> and he goes to prison this dude is not a criminal <laughs> he, try anything else <laughs> try anything else and then anybody who thinks that someone's going to wait for you in prison when they could oh. be getting that dane cook dick <laughs> you're a fool of course she's going to be taking that dane cook dick <laughs> It's worth to, it's worth uh, 87 the side million. Of the dollars. highway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, everything about uh American Gods was just like too over the top for me. I couldn't uh get into it. I yeah. just you I sometimes I do it for you, like where I just explain the plots of movies. And it's more fun. Yeah. I like you doing that for American Gods. Okay. Uh, except Jessa cannot remember shit. <laughs> <laughs> She's just like, ah, ah. there's like gods and then there's new gods and there's, and like, the, there's, you, the, he's a god, uh, but like the gods don't, they're, oh my God. Oh my American Gods. It's a really good show. This is all we that do in the car. Verbatim. <laughs> Uh, when I describe shows to Jessa, I embellish them a lot. And then when I she sh- sees the scene that I described, like I've inserted lines of dialogue <laughs> that weren't there. So much uh, better. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's happened when you've told me other people's jokes and then you show me the video and I'm like, well, you should give them notes. <laughs> I think that there's something like cool about just uh, watching something and... 
letting your mind do the rest. Right. You saw how you can enjoy something. So, I mean, I don't mean to knock on people. If you're enjoying the hell out of Umbrella Academy, go right for it. You know, I've done that with plenty of things. I just can't do it with Umbrella Academy. Anyway, Russian doll. Things that we love to talk about. Uh, Timelines, trauma, uh, twins, mirrors. Jess, the game of mirrors. There's so many mirrors in that show. And so it was kind of freaky thinking about this. We had just gone to Houston and we had talked to a girl, uh, a really nice girl who was a fan of the podcast and and she like wanted to buy us tacos and stuff. And do you remember her saying that uh, when she would, she, when she did drugs, she didn't anymore, but she like, when I did drugs, I felt like I was just caught in a loop and I would just do the same loop over and over and over again. And I, had no idea what she was talking about yeah we were like uh i don't think i've experienced that before and then on the flight home from houston we started watching russian doll and uh it's about somebody caught in a loop and her first instinct to solve this loop mystery is drugs she's like okay what was in that cigarette i got a trick down this guy blah 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 maybe that's why i'm stuck in this loop which made me think, oh, I guess this maybe this is a common phenomenon uh, that happens with certain drugs or something. Uh, but that's this the essence of what we love to talk about is being caught in a loop, being stuck in your life and doing the same things over and over again to the same results over and over again. And that the only way out is to dig deep into your past trauma and figure out what it is that makes you do these things and dig it out and lay it bare and confront it and accept it and then you can move on. How beautifully uh, illustrated was that in Russian Doll? So good. Uh, the imagery of all of the of the mirrors and the timing of the mirrors like every time she wakes back up in the reality she's staring into they're both staring into a mirror yep, they're both looking and in a mirror. at one point i can't remember what triggers there being no mirrors yeah that's towards the end when they're uh after they had a fight and then and after uh, he figures out how yeah her mom broke all of the mirrors at one point oh yeah some of our her mom who was mentally ill disturbed yeah didn't want to see her own reflection didn't want to and her mom ended up uh killing herself uh because she couldn't i i think i think one yeah one uh lesson to take from that was that uh you have to look in the mirror and you have to uh see yourself for what you are and you have to self-examine or you'll uh if if not be completely destroyed you will be stuck in an unhappy loop like she's literally in a time loop where every time she dies she wakes up right back up but i mean before that night how long was nadia stuck in a loop how long was she going to keep doing the same relationship with guys uh where she's just avoidant and won't give herself to anybody how long was she going to keep going to the same parties and stuff um i I liked when she started doing something different, you know, like she's, she spent several loops just staying at the party. Right. And then, uh, eventually was like, I'm, she would wake up and just leave the party, you know? 
And I think that's a, a, a clue for all of us. You're unhappy with your life. Do something drastically different. Like change, change something. You're going to get the same results if you keep going to the same places and hanging out with the same people and doing the same things. Jessa did meth until she was done doing meth and was like, this is stale. I got to go. I got to yeah. do something else, you know, or I'm just going to be here forever until I die. And I think that's uh, true with any of us. Uh, but also you're talking to two people, Jessa and I, who really like change. We, we like we like changing our surroundings. We like moving. We like m- making new friends and stuff. But I do think that that's uh, key to staying fresh and, and making sure you don't get complacent with your own life, you know? But I thought that um, I thought a lot about my loops and how subtle my loops are and also how I feel like I spent 10 years in a, a cocoon that was very different than the entire rest of my life. This 10 years of uh, I got clean and then I got married and then I lived this very domesticated, safe, predictable life that uh, is unrecognizable from the rest of my Jessa is I was still like Jessa in that Mm -hmm. but I came out of that in 2017 I got shaken out of it like so much change started happening in rapid succession that I got bounced out almost of my very predictable safe life and almost picked back up where I left off where all of a sudden I was I was back in uh facing things and and living this kind of like spontaneous more jessa life and then i started to identify loops and i started to identify loops that i hadn't been in since my 20s you know things that i was like oh i'm cured like i i'm better oh i learned from all of those things and none of you know like i grew out of them whatever and then now here they are in my face again and the imagery of mirrors was a huge part of that and I like how much I learned in your reflection how many things I learned about you and how you were also very similar to the before Jason the other men in my life the thing I talk about in the last episode about this realization about all of the relationships in my life where I'm trying to repeat this trauma from getting abused as a kid, but I'm playing that loop in relationships and not realizing like why, why that loop is happening. And I thought that they executed that so well in the show, the conflict that you think is about one thing, like goes all the way back to shit that happened to her when she was a kid. And when she goes back and addresses it, like the loop is over. I want to talk about Alan for a second. Alan, the other guy, he, when we first meet him, loves the loop. He's in, he loves knowing everything that's going to happen, and he's in control of it. He, and he loves that comfort. He loves knowing it. He loves going to his uh, girlfriend's apartment and getting dumped every day. At least every time he dies, you know. He is... Uh, going back and doing it again and he likes it and it's not it's like meeting Nadia that fucks it up 
And right. Now, and 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 uh, he gets mad at he's mad that he's met Nadia because it's it's fucked everything up. How beautiful is that? We stay in our loops because we are comfortable with them, even the painful ones. Like you not you won't move on from your ex until you're done being sad about your ex. You know. Yeah. Like, uh, and it's hard to stop being sad. It's easier to just stay and just keep wallowing in it. It's easy to just stay and go to her Facebook page and stalk it and uh, scroll through your phone and look at old memories and, and sit in it and sit in your apartment and think about all the things. It's just easier to do that. It's painful to let go of that. It's, it's painful to be happy. And it, it takes effort to be happy. And so we don't want to. And uh, I like that, you know, they are each other's impetus to do it. And she was so cocky and cavalier about, you know, making changes for him. Right. Uh, when he when she dirties up his apartment and he's like, uh, I don't like it dirty. And she's like, hey, well, the next loop resets, it's going to fucking change. So why don't you right. chill out? And then uh, and she just seems so cool. And like she's she's going to teach him all these things to help him. Like he she helps him with with Beatrice and uh, which is great. I love it. Um, but then the second he uh triggers her oh my god she kicks him out of the house without shoes on she freaks out there's uh she's not all he did was like clean and she's just like fuck you for touching my fucking things get the fuck out and uh she has to then realize like how like it's the same it's the same thing as him uh she was more comfortable in in her routine in her ways and she doesn't want to clean up she doesn't want to pull stuff out from under the bed which is what he did he pulled up old photos of her mom you know literally digging them out from where she had buried these old memories and puts them on display and she is pissed about it she doesn't want to do that so she kicks him out of the apartment and uh yeah was uh it wasn't lost on me anyway uh (laughs) Jessa, Jessa, in our relationship, definitely thought like, "Oh, I'll help this poor boy navigate his divorce, and his, uh, and uh, I'll help, I'll help teach him all the things he needs to know, and uh, you know, I'll be, I'll help him, even though it'll be difficult, and even though he'll be mad at me sometimes, I'll, I'll help him." And uh, then the second. <laughs> The second uh, we stumble upon uh, something that bothered Jess, Jess was like, get the fuck out! <laughs> Shut the fuck up! Get out! God, the imagery Canceling of trudging the, the mom up from uh, buried underneath. I didn't really put that together till just now. But, whoa. Yeah. Um, I had... Ne- yeah. I uh, felt like it was... Uh, show about me in a in a lot of parts i think 
Yeah, you just blew my mind with that part. I didn't with think digging about Digging up the... I knew that, like, I liked watching the part where she thinks she has it together because he's obviously uh, mourning outwardly mm-hmm. more. And a lot of her issues, you can tell that she thinks are other people's issues. Like, she isn't good in relationships. She's very, like, avoidant uh, with the man that she's been in you know in a relationship with she has broken up with him because he got too close and then you get to watch her loop that relationship a couple times and then this guy gets close to her and her first instinct is to leave him alone while he's sleeping because it's close and then she comes back and he has cleaned and pulled out pictures of her mom and I didn't the pictures of her mom I didn't really like this dynamic has like triggered so much childhood stuff that uh, it's like an onion that I keep peeling back that I'm like, oh, man, I haven't thought about the way that I used to take people's temperature when I was a kid. Uh, I hadn't thought thought about that in 25 years. And mm-hmm. then I was like, why? What is this thing? This feels familiar. This feels familiar where I and then I remember what it was like being a kid and trying to make sure that I was safe and continuously talking so that I could get a response because then I would be able to tell in the response whether or not I was wanted at that time. And I was 24-7 preoccupied with that as a child. Like, that's all I was ever thinking about. Is all I was ever motivated by. And I hadn't had a person trigger that mechanism in me in my adult life I mean I guess it did happen in my early 20s but I didn't know that was happening there was enough shitty things happening on the exterior that I could be like uh this is a person being shitty you know but that that's crazy I didn't really put that part well we uh Jess and I love have lately really love talking about attachment styles uh and we've read books on attachment theory and how that works in relationships and it all starts with your very first relationships, your relationship with your parents. And those attachment figures very, very important. And uh, they really affect all the other relationships that you have for the rest of your life. And we, so we, of course, looked at Russian Doll with those through that filter. So Nadia is very obviously uh, avoidant. She avoids attachment. And it's easy to see why. Uh, she has a, you know, a fucked up relationship with her first attachment figure, her mom. And, uh, so she's scared of relationships and stuff. Alan is very anxiously attached. Uh, he's, we definitely see that with his girlfriend, Beatrice. Like he is very codependent and has to, he seems very, very anxious. And, uh, I definitely identified with that cause I was anxiously attached to my ex and was very codependent. And it was really cool to just watch someone who just thought that they were a great and perfect boyfriend who like didn't really do anything wrong and try to figure out why, why is it over? Like, why don't you love me? You don't get it Uh, because I definitely didn't, but uh, it's both attachment. Both of those two attachment styles uh, can be unhealthy if you don't manage them and they both are. Let's change the subject a little bit. I really liked seeing people portrayed differently in slightly different lights in the different loops. Like the asshole, 
the asshole in the, in the very in the very beginning Nadia sleeps with. He seems kind of like a douche when she sleeps with him, but he's not like that huge of an asshole. Right. He's not like a, he's not terrible. But then there are times where he's just like downright evil, just a bad, awful, just I want to punch him in his in his pale, sweaty little face. And then there are other times like when he comes over towards the end to check on Beatrice because she's been upset about how Alan hasn't checked in and he comes over with his baby and like has his son with him and is just like, hey, Alan, you had Beatrice worried, you know, like he's definitely putting on a little bit of a show. But I think that you're also seeing him how Beatrice sees him. Right. And the homeless guy is the other best example. I I loved the the homeless guy that comes uh that comes around a lot, that cuts Nadia's hair. They have lots of cool conversations. He's just he seems like he's a he's so wise. He has so much figured out. Uh, when he talks about how like he stepped away from society because it was all bullshit and you know, uh, but then the very end in that new timeline. He is like trying to rob or hurt Alan and Nadia has to like save him. And I was so mad at homeless guy. Like he'd been one of my favorite characters. And now suddenly you're being so fucking shady. Like after everything Nadia had done for you or whatever. But uh, and, and, and plus, who is he working with when he's trying to when he takes he takes Alan's wallet and uh, and hands it to someone? Yeah. The person who stole his shoes, who that he had been talking to Nadia about so many times. Uh, and like the reason why he wasn't sleeping at the homeless shelter anymore is because he could. I'm not going to sleep anywhere where I can't trust people. I'm not going to hang out with thieves, you know, is what he said. But you see him there in a completely different light. Like you do hang out with thieves. You are a thief. You're a bad person. This is what this made me think about, um, because I f- I feel like we're hopping on time. We might be like not waking up in the same bathroom over and over again at the same party, but we are hopping from timeline to timeline to timeline. And I believe that we play different roles in each other's lives when we need it. And in order for what was his, what's the main guy's name? Alan. In order for Alan to heal, for him to go through the process with his, with Beatrice, he has to first have the experience. He forgives Beatrice. Then he has to have the experience where he truly accepts her boyfriend. Right. And then as soon as he truly accepts her boyfriend, he has to accept him as a good dude. And then, then he turns out to be a prick and then they end up breaking up. But it's a kind of a familiar evolution of uh, the the homeless guy played a role in her life, but then he also like a villain was needed in the scene where he's getting ready to go kill himself. And I felt the same way about uh, like I hated uh, my ex's new guy. Hated him. Hated hated him without ever knowing him. Hated him. Can't imagine what it'd been like to just like run into him at parties and stuff and see, you know, I just hate him. But like, yeah, he was playing in those timelines. He was playing the character that Alan saw him as. Right. And when Alan didn't care anymore, that's when he showed up as like a nice guy, you know, right. Uh, that uh, people are just what you choose to see them as. And uh, this was something I was talking about earlier today where I, um, 
can't stop thinking about our relationship with other people's dream, other people's movies. So I have one movie playing. You have another movie playing. Uh, you play this character in my movie, but then we as a society have an obsession with other people's movies. And we can't, uh, my reality can't be real if I haven't verified it by you. And I was talking today about how when you get cheated on, the worst part is the paradigm shift. Like you can make yourself cry and stuff thinking about them having sex with someone else. But finding out that like I thought that we were happy. I thought that we were, you know, in one place. And then come to find out that you were having sex with someone else. Like you were building something with someone else. That you you were on this other timeline. Like that's so painful. And religion, the leaving religion is so painful. Because it's like I... Mormonism is real while you're in it. It is real while you're in it. And the evolution to finding out it wasn't true, a lot of that pain comes from this belief in what is real and not real. And today I was talking about, because I'm very vague with my kids about Santa, because I never want them to feel like I lied to them. So when they ask me if Santa's real, I just say, what do you think? Like, I've never told, told them anything about Santa. I play along according to how... Like, I follow their lead, and I thought, but Santa's real. When you're a kid, Santa is real. Like, that's the experience you're having, is that of a child who is experience a re experiencing a reality in which... Yeah, when they wake up and there's presence there, it's because a, an actual magical man came and brought them presents. Right. They They live in a reality where Santa is real. I mean, like, that's the... The moral behind every Christmas movie, you know, it's right. like Santa's real if you believe in him and Santa needs your like there's so many movies that Santa needs people to believe in order for him to like get his work done, you know, right. or he just won't be able to do it if people don't believe we all have to believe in order for Santa. Our belief is what makes Santa real. So, yeah, that's 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 valid. What were you saying about like uh, we have we are obsessed with other people's movies? Um, I think trusting your own intuition is um, one example you believe something to be true about yourself and then needing other people to verify that for you. I think your own self-worth is an example of not needing it externally validated. Um, yeah, I do that a lot. I care so much about if other people think I'm nice. Perceive you as, like, so, like, if other people perceive you as successful, you can perceive yourself as I am successful because I have achieved this many things in a year or whatever. But you know that other people in your line of work think that if you don't have a late night credit or whatever, that you're not successful. Like, my version of reality is my version of reality, and I don't care what other people... I genuinely do not care what other people think of it. There are exceptions to that. There are recently things where I had to question like why did that one hurt but for the most part uh, I understand that this is my movie uh, you can't please everyone and there is a very very small group of people whose opinions I give a fuck about because I they don't even do a good job on their own movie why would I let them write on mine why would I let <laughs> their opinion and so it doesn't they still have their opinion 
And if you're the type of person who, like in my head, everyone likes me. Everyone who I give a fuck about likes me. And I'm sure there are a ton of people who don't like me and who talk bad behind my back. I don't give a fuck about them or their version of reality. Their version of reality is not any more uh, real than my version of reality. So I just ignore their movie. And it's very difficult to get influence in my movie because I choose not to to let them influence me. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. But I do think there is something interesting about the characters we play in each other's movies. And this was that game of mirrors thing that happened when I accidentally took that weed pill. Yeah. Where it is, you may perceive that you're playing one character in my movie because you're thinking about the character you're playing in your own game but you're you're playing a different character for me. Does that make sense? So like the homeless guy might perceive himself as the kind, fun-loving person that was cutting her hair, but that's not the character that Alan needed that night. Alan needed the guy to steal his wallet. Oh my God. I love the idea that we have to fix ourselves, right? And I don't think that we fix ourselves in a vacuum, but no one else fixes you. And so for so long, our movies and stories have been about people fixing each other. Uh, the manic pixie dream girl that just comes into uh, Zach Braff's life and, and now he's happy, right? Like it's just like someone, someone shows up in their life and now, and like that introduces a change and now they're better. And that's just such bullshit. Uh, he, both in Maniac and in this, we have, uh, you know, a couple, a pair. Right. But they're, they are fixing their own selves. Right. They have their own problems to work on. The other person is just holding up a mirror to allow them to see their own reflection, allow them to work on it. Right. So I loved this show of these two people that were helping the other person fix themselves is beautiful. I loved it. And you get to the end when they've got it figured out and you think that it's going to be fine now. And they're suddenly on two separate timelines. And when it happened, it was just like one of those endings that I didn't see coming, but knew it had to end like that. Of course, of course it's ending like this. Why didn't I see this coming? So perfect. So perfect. But they had to then like really take risks each of them did and really uh make a, a much bigger effort to help the other person than they they ever would have you know right and it's like they got to meet each other again for the first time like when they first saw each other when she first saw him he he committed suicide and she saw him and she had a chance like she could have done something, but she wasn't the kind of person who would do something back then. She's got her own shit to work on. Right. You know? She's, and, but, uh, as my friend Esra once said to me just recently, um, she was in a bad place a couple of years ago, just trouble at home, trouble at work, just not in a good headspace, and spent a couple of years really working on herself and then said to me, um, if I get myself into a good place and then I don't help other people, 
what the fuck was the point of getting into a good place? Wow. Yeah. Very insp- I I'm very proud to be her friend. She was like volunteering at a uh, uh, I don't know. She's volunteering to help uh, foster kids in the legal system. So it's like they have court appointed attorneys and they can't do everything. And so she's like assigned different foster kids to help check up on them and then be like the go between between them and attorneys and stuff. And she's gonna get into a lot of dark shit. Uh, right. She just her training process. She had to um, listen to a phone call, a nine one one call that a six year old made, and she came home and then had to like go take care of her own baby. And she's just emotionally disturbed, but she's doing it because she believes that she's in a good enough place that she can give of herself to help other people, and that's so inspiring to me. And I feel like I've spent a couple years now putting myself into a good place and I'm ready to like start being proactive and helping other people you know so Nadia didn't help him and uh now she's fixed herself she's in a good place and uh you thought that he was just gonna like be on the same page as her but it's like no you're back at the beginning and now you have this opportunity to help someone who needs it and it is difficult and you have to somehow make them listen to you uh, even though they don't know all the things that you do right because they haven't fixed themselves yet and uh i feel like alan had the much harder task all she had to do was like stay near him and not go to sleep and why she went to sleep i don't know yeah <laughs> uh, all you do is stay awake uh, but uh, he had a much harder task and really had to uh, put himself out there to try to, like he had to seem like a real huge creep in order to help Nadia. But they did it. They did it. And God damn it, what a beautiful ending it was. I it loved was it. So they walked beautiful. past each other. Like you, you, if you, when they're, they join that homeless parade, you know, and they're walking through that underground tunnel and there's, there's the split screen going, uh, in, in one, you can see Nadia walk past Nadia, uh, right. when it goes to, to, to one screen, I think. And it's really, really cool. And the, I think the last thing they say to each other is he said, does this mean I'll be happy forever? Or does this mean I won't have any more problems or whatever? And she was like, no, uh, I can't promise you that. I can promise you that you won't be alone. And then that was the last thing they nice. said before they walked. I wanted to tell you about the book, the book that she's always talking about, mm-hmm. Emily of New Moon. And they say it's like from the same author as Anne of Green Gables. I read this Vox article that uh, talked about all the... Uh, like I just told you what Emily of New Moon was about, and but in reference to Russian Doll, like uh, they she Emily of New Moon lives with her aunt after her dad dies. Her aunt's name is Ruth, which is the same name as uh, Nadia's aunt Ruth, you know. But they're those the two Ruths are kind of different. Uh, this was the most interesting thing that I found. Emily is a loner, right? She's like this cool. It's cool, kind of aloof loner, and uh, her best friend is her own reflection. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. This lonely little girl just uh, hangs out with her own reflection. That's her best friend. 
And how perfectly does that fit in with Russian doll? Oh, wow. She stares at her own reflection at the start of everything. Alan is like her reflection. There's someone, she pulls a mirror, a piece of a mirror, a piece of glass out of her throat in that thing, which she's scared. Like she's, she tells the girl like about the book. She says, it's something that we share, you know? Uh, I think that a lot of her, I think she's avoidant anyway in any relationship with that man wasn't going to end well because she wasn't well. But definitely the thought of uh, talking to a young girl that reminded her of herself is the, was the real problem there. Right. Like she didn't, she never met his daughter because she didn't want to to meet herself. and She didn't want to uh, to like go and touch that trauma you know and yeah. uh she like wanted to give her this book though that like you know helped her it's like here this is a book about us you know it's a book about uh fucked up kid that uh that made it you know that's like easier like the in emily's parents were dead but like emily didn't have guilt over her parents death the way nadia did Right. You know, and so like it was easier. Someone she looked up to. Yeah, exactly. She was like it was aspirational to be Emily. Like you could still be the cool owner that uh, is too cool for friends who are losers, but not have to think about how you're the reason your mom is dead. That's interesting that uh, her because her and Alan talk about how they are the same person. Like in the beginning where she's like, I think you're me. Mm hmm. Um, they yeah, that's about. what she's like trying to see if you she if he feels pain yeah. when when she feels pain and stuff, and they are dying at the same time, which is what you know yeah they thought they it was the first thing that they wondered is that they're the same person yeah uh, do you think they're the same person? I guess at some point they stop addressing it. I feel like they say that that's not their answer you know yeah it was like a theory that they were working through but. Uh, they're not necessarily wrong. We can all be the same person, you know. We're all connected through the universe. The you, you know. Yeah. We're, we're all just the universe experiencing itself in a, a billion different points. If you are just uh, a mirror that I'm reflecting my own story off of, then yeah, you're me. Yeah. Everyone's me. Mm-hmm. What do you remember? What the girl said to her when she pulled the glass out of her throat. The girl sit, like changes and says something to her. It's, it was surreal because it wasn't like anything else that had happened in the show. I think I was tripping on the piece of. Uh, I was grabbing mirror. your arm really tight. I was like, "Oh my god, you guys!" Jessa has had uh, at one point a piece of glass that she found. Do you want to tell a story? Um, yeah, it was a, a piece of mirror. So we don't talk about it a lot on the podcast, but our dynamic has. In the in the process of triggering so much stuff, it has at some times been very difficult. And most of the time that it was extremely difficult, we would be in separate states. And there was a night where I was having a very bad night and I went outside. I think I was on acid, walking on curbs by myself. And then I went and sat on a curb and was thinking about 
us and had already used the mirror imagery was already a huge part of our dynamic where mm-hmm. we would have we would get triggered and we would have these these fights and then we would separate and then we would process and then be like okay I can see where this is just my own reflection and I put my hand down on the curb and in my hand was this broken shard of mirror and there was no other pieces of mirror anywhere. It was just this perfect hand, my hand sh- sized uh, piece of mirror. And I, I knew exactly what it meant. And I felt so much better. And I brought it back and I slept, I slept with it next to my bed for months. And sometimes I held it when things were very difficult between us. And it was just this constant reminder that all of these things feel so real and they feel so difficult. And this is during a chunk of time where it was just a lot of triggering. This is during that whole like anxiety summer. And then there came a point where it felt like we had caught a stride and things were better. And I had put it up on top of a uh, like a door frame. And um, with uh, Mormon and the Meth Head picture or something, which is all like I do a lot of like symbolism type magic type stuff where uh, things mean something to me and they are a reminder of like the premise that I'm currently in. And so I left it up there for a long time, but it was something that meant a lot to me. And right before we watched Russian Doll, we had kind of a a breakthrough experience in which I had grabbed that piece of glass and I had, uh, or mirror and thrown it over the bushes into the. She tried to throw it over the bush. Yeah. I I don't, (laughs) I don't think it, uh, it's like a tall bush. And I think she just threw it like straight into the bush. (laughs) I heard it hit the ground. I never heard it It, hit the ground. It was with uh, other things that I threw that did go just into the bush. Okay. But, it was such a huge turning point and did end up being a very big turning point for us. It was kind of the the end of this uh, unconscious mirroring. And ever since then, we have felt very um, like consciously aware, I guess, of all of that mirror stuff. Where before it was like you'd fall asleep and be in the experience and it would all feel so real. And then you would kind of wake up after it and be like, oh, okay, that was just me working out my childhood shit in your reflection. Yeah. My bad. And now it feels, I feel very awake in it all the time. And, um, but the next day after I had thrown that mirror, because it was something that had meant so much to me and I was scared, I felt weird that I had gotten rid of it. It felt like what I was supposed to do in that moment, but I remember being like, well, I can't believe I did that. And then it was... A little while after. Two weeks, maybe. Yeah. Um, we watched well, that, that was... and it was the exact same fucking piece of mirror that she pulled out of her throat. Yeah, I was clutching Jess's arm so tight and looking at her like, oh my God, this show's about you. <laughs> That's all that I have on my head right now about Russian Doll. Bet there'd be more. Wasn't it great to just have like a, a this wide array of three dimensional female characters? So good and female voices, and uh, it was just it was a diverse show. It felt 
it felt like New York. Like I felt like it captured New York really well. Yeah. And uh, I remember reading an article, uh, an interview with the creators who were saying like they wanted people to binge this in the middle of the night in New York and then like walk down to their bodega with that song stuck in their head. I talked to someone who lives in New York that said exactly that. that they were going to get hit by a taxi cab and uh, they, they nailed it, man. They nailed it. I only hope I can make something like that someday just to be a part of it. Yeah. Just to, just to contribute one thing to it. How cool would that feel? When this episode comes out, it'll be right after the Oscars. Uh, we were supposed to do, I, we were only recording this tonight because Jessa doesn't want to release the episode. We already recorded, <laughs> tried to record about Oscars and, uh, and uh, then I got on a Black Panther rant and then it just turned into like two hours of me and Jessa uh, just explaining uh, racism and <laughs> solving it. <laughs> and uh, it was great. But Jessa is uh, uh, a little scared, a little scared to share that one. Why is that, Jess? I, um, I don't know. Hate I'm torn. Black so people. Yeah, I um, did the Aska series with Kev on stage, mm-hmm. and he hit a couple of my favorite soapbox topics in about addiction, which is um, the prison system, uh, the difference between how we treated crack and how we treat heroin now that the white kids in the suburbs have gotten addicted to heroin. And uh, one of the questions I was asked is, was it easier being an addict as a white person? And I just got very honest on that podcast. And I talked about a lot of things, white privilege and stuff, which just seems so obvious to me. And I feel like uh, we talked about it and then I got very nervous, which is just kind of my process. Yeah, I say too much. On, I wanted you to get to yeah. why, what, why are you nervous to talk about it? It just feels like it's not my conversation and I don't know, I I feel like, d- do we need to hear what a middle-aged white woman thinks about r- race in this? Co- like, it just feels like it's not my conversation. And I felt kind of comfortable having it with uh, Kev on stage because it's his conversation, you know? And then I, but I still felt uncomfortable when people were saying nice things in the comments and stuff. I just felt... I don't know. It just, it feels, I get. It. I think I've judged other people. You don't want to be a other... white savior. Yeah. You don't want to be, I think we all know that person who, uh, you know, the SJW that's so fucking annoying. Yeah. That just wants to uh, uh, attack everything that you say and point out how you didn't think about this and that and this is blah 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 but like it doesn't cost them anything you know like there's they you don't want to be you don't want to seem like that you know uh you also don't want to say anything wrong like you don't want to you i think that that you and i both acknowledge our own limited perspective on things and like we learn stuff from other people and learn things uh you know through books <laughs> and stuff but um we still have a, a a white person's perspective on it i think if you acknowledge that people 
you know, are okay. It's just like when uh, a white person speaks and thinks that they know more about it than uh, than someone else or whatever. I do. I I personally, and I talked about it on this episode, which uh, will is apparently going to be thrown in the trash. Uh, <laughs> Like I, I usually stay quiet. I usually don't. Um, I read things, and uh, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll like them, like the comments, but I won't ever comment myself, and I don't share it myself because of the same fear, um, and uh, like I don't want to be seen as like, high, like taking the mic, fr- from like, you know, uh, from other people. But uh, I. I don't know. I also wonder if I'm uh, keeping myself from growing because I'm scared to have the conversation. Like, I think listening is more important and I've been doing way more listening than talking. So don't get me wrong. Like, I don't, I'm not saying like, uh, can I really, can I really grow if I don't, uh, start, uh, (laughs) uh, speaking out? Uh, I know like I'm growing by listening, but like, I, what I'm afraid of is that I'm actually just a coward who doesn't want to, uh, get into fights with uh, w- relatives on Facebook, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that. I, I I say that I'm not doing it because I'm like, well, it's not my turn to speak, you know. I I think they, I think uh, uh, I shouldn't really. Uh, no one needs my opinion, but there's there's white people out there who aren't listening to black people, and they might could use a white person to speak up like we just like in in their sphere they need people uh i was in twin falls and after the show i listened to a like a baby boomer explain black lives matter to a different white idahoan baby boomer and and like the guy got it he was like right. oh okay all right, cool. And I was like, this is rad. I didn't yeah. I wasn't expecting this in Twin Falls, Idaho. You guys are oh wow. Uh sorry for stereotyping you, you know? But that was like a really important conversation. That guy understood something for the first and it was so easy for him to he just I, I props to that guy to just change like he was like, Oh, okay, I get it. And just went along with it. He didn't yeah. fight it or anything. She also explained it very, very well. But uh, that experience made me think, uh, maybe you should talk more. I don't know. I have felt like uh, less performative. Like I'm not helping anyone announcing on Facebook that I'm an ally. That always just felt, and that's probably just my own judgment, but that always just felt like there are plenty of of conversations to be had with white people behind the scenes where, uh, yeah, am I wrong? Anytime when someone's like, I'm an ally, if you guys need an ally, I'm an ally. I'll believe you. I, I feel like, uh, don't, I also discount virtual relationships a lot. So maybe for someone who's just like, uh, you know, on Facebook a lot and like only knows people through Facebook, they have to make that kind of announcement. But I felt like I just felt like it dude. was hijacking the conversation. I feel like something happens yeah. to the black community. Well, I was thinking I, about me too specifically when dudes yeah. were like, I'm an ally. Shut up, man. They, I feel like girls already have a pretty good idea of who's their ally and not. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you, if you have, if you feel like you have to make an announcement, it, I've, me cynically i feel like it's not you then man that's a good way for me to put myself in um their shoes so i feel like as a man you would be more effective handling locker room talk that happens when we aren't around 
than you would be announcing that you are uh, that not all men, you know what I mean? On Facebook. And so I just felt like I'm more effective behind the scenes and it's more genuine behind the scenes when I'm not performing it for everyone. Also, I don't trust SJW, the SJW movement. I've never seen anything so cannibalistic Mm -hmm. in my life than people who swear that they are out for um, promoting inclusion and uh, compassion, but they can't wait to devour each other. So I have never. And that's like another reason like why I think you and I are scared to talk on the topic, because anytime you touch on uh, something um, like that, you are opening yourself up for criticism like, uh, I don't mind criticism from the black community, but I don't, I'm afraid of a liberal social justice. I don't want anything to do with that whole group of people. It doesn't feel like true compassion to me. It feels like uh, I found a shtick and they're awful (laughs) to other people who are just trying to be good. Uh, you'll watch it's like a snake eating its tail, somebody trying to tweet something kind about a group they don't understand, and then 30 fucking SJWs show up and criticize the verbiage used in the thing. It's like, go the fuck away with all of... I don't want anything to do with it. And so I have been... um, Is that the right thing to do? And then we did it, and I was like, we're never going to air that. (laughs) All I wanted to say... Was that it's okay that Black Panther got nominated for Best Picture. That's how the whole thing started. And then it just devolved into two hours of talking about Colin Kaepernick and everything. I, it was going to be a great episode. It was going to be called The Awakening. And, uh, I might, we might release it just because that's the best name is, we've ever it had. It is great. It is, it is fantastic. Help me convince Jessa to release the episode, <laughs> everyone. Uh, but uh, I th- think this is going to be our last Monday release. Um, and starting in March, our episodes will be coming out on Tuesday morning instead of Monday morning. And so uh, enjoy it, I guess, while you can. And we've got, uh, we had a really busy January and February. March slows down a little bit. We are going to the under comedy underground. Is that what it's called? Comedy mm-hmm. underground in Minneapolis uh, on the second weekend of March, and then Jessa's going to be doing uh, Gilda's Laugh Fest in uh, Grand Rapids, yes, Michigan, yes, in uh, the the weekend right after that. And then we are in San Jose on March twenty eighth, March like 28th. A Thursday at the Improv in San Jose. We're going to be there. And then April, we're putting together a pretty cool tour. We've hit some little bumps and snags, but I think we're going to be able to hit uh, put together a pretty cool tour where we're going to do uh, New York, Delaware, D.C., Cleveland, Columbus, hopefully Nashville, <laughs> and Atlanta as well. Maybe we'll f- squeeze another city in there, and we're looking forward to that. We're going to somehow keep coming out uh, with another episode every single week, and... <laughs> We only have to record like three of them, throw two of them away, (laughs) and we'll still get one out every single week. It is fucking 1040, and we are still more than an hour away from our show tonight. We're doing a a midnight show in Las Vegas, 
and uh, I hope that we can stay awake. I guess you'll have to tune in next week to find out if we did. We'll check you guys next time on Mormon and the Meth Head. Bye. If you put a Mormon and a Meth Head together, this is what they sound like. Aaron Woodall and just so read our friends. Listen to them talking to Mike. Show.